Welcome to episode 41 of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. I'm Jeff Brownson. And I'm Derek Dye. And together we're drinking our way through this amazing world, one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Stu Clemens from Find My Food Stu. If you missed our first episode with Stu, go back and listen to episode 40 to hear about Stu's background and how he got into making videos about food, drink, and travel. In this episode, we'll get a bit deeper into Stu's favorite places to travel, and we'll talk about two of the spots he's most familiar with, Portland, Maine, and the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything we have coming down the line. And now, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Stu. But let's get a little bit into the travel side of things now. We've kind of strayed into that as it intermixes very much with what you're doing. But let's talk, uh, let's kind of get into the the background of your travel and what your travel style is. Do you like to stay at the the Ritz and the Conrad Hotels? Do you like to stay in a hostel? Um, Fast travel, slow travel? Are you mostly by yourself, with friends, with family? Kind of take us through the the average travel for you. Yeah. So, I mean, every situation is unique. But if I had to say my style, it, it's it's more semi-budget. Is that a word? Sure. Uh, I, will stay at ho- I will stay at hostels from time to time. I actually, recently in Mexico, I did a month-long package stay, which was a great deal with Selena. Selena is a hostel, sort of, sort of glorified now from the hostels of old days, that caters to digital nomads. So you know it has great Wi-Fi, had a great monthly package if you stayed, and you could travel to three different Selenas on that, you know, on that budget that you'd already prepaid. So I will do it from time to time, especially if they cater to digital nomads. Most of the time I will get, you know, mid-level hotels or Airbnbs on the cheaper side. Uh, Never the cheapest, but certainly not very expensive. Now, that's not to say there aren't weeks that I just want to stay at an all-inclusive resort or a resort. Uh, But I find that most people who stay in resorts, you don't often leave the resort. It's like Vegas, getting out of a casino, right? It takes about 20 minutes of walking around to actually get out of the resort. And then you got to take a cab to get somewhere else, you know, far away. Uh, So I really like staying right in the downtown and, uh, you know, and, cheap Airbnb that's clean and has good Wi-Fi. Is most of your travel solo as a digital nomad or are you with family or friends or how do you go about for the majority of your travel? Yeah, so, so I've done both. I mean, obviously now at this point, I've been traveling uh, Oktoberfest and Europe with Points and Miles people several times. We've been to the Bahamas. Uh, we've been several places. Uh, actually, several of you were there in Playa del Carmen when I flew down there last end of September, I guess it was. So I do like traveling solo because you can make the decisions that you want to make, go where you want to make, stay in a place for as long as you need to, and then, and then leave. Um, I do have a, a girlfriend and now a 
day-old baby, so traveling as a family will probably be, you know, more common going forward. And certainly we were all in Mexico together, um, but I would like to mix in solo travel as well, continue. I think that it's, I think everyone should try solo travel um, at least once in their life for a semi-long period of time. And I think it's interesting you say that uh, you were all in Mexico, but your daughter actually was was still inside when she was in Mexico, right? Uh, she was. I would actually still be in Mexico right now, uh, but we wanted to deliver here in upstate New York, the same place that my girlfriend was, was born, and that all made sense to me. Uh, so I was in Mexico for nine months. My girlfriend was there, I think, for six. Uh, so I did have some solo time both before she came and then when she flew back, I had another month uh, after of solo time. So you can do both. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you both, I know Jeff, you have a family. I don't know about you, Derek, but, or if you have always traveled with family, but as far as I know, I think you both mix in some solo travel as well, right? And your spouses probably do as well. Yeah, as much to my wife's chagrin. I, she, she would say that I travel solo far too much, especially coming up this fall. I have a decently long trip to Europe scheduled that uh, I don't think she's super thrilled with. But uh, I do the day I come home, she's going with a group of friends to Puerto Rico. So, you know, we, we both mix it in. She tends to travel with others, with friends or with groups. Uh, but uh, she did do a, a solo trip last year and, and enjoyed it quite a bit. And I have not personally traveled solo much. Uh, I have done a few weekend trips, some annual golf trips with buddies, but I've never traveled international by myself. Uh, might happen one of these days, who knows? But uh, for now, all of my international trips have been with my wife. So there's a, a couple of places that I wanted to talk about with you because I, I'm not going to say that you're the foremost expert on these spots, but you know a heck of a lot more than a lot of people about these spots. So the first one, and I don't know, Derek may contend this and say he's been there a lot, but I still think you'll win, is going to be Portland, Maine, which you mentioned earlier you grew up in. Take us back to growing up in Portland and kind of a little bit of the differences that you've seen. You mentioned before that you it's become more of a nationally known place now and people are more people are traveling there. But uh, take us through kind of what it was like and how, how things have changed a little bit. Yeah, I mean, two of the biggest differences uh, are the food and beer scene, right? I mean, I'm sure there's professional differences as well, although... Believe it or not, Maine is the oldest state in the country. It's older on average than Florida. So a lot of the youth had been leaving Maine. And I think that some of the, the new changes, hopefully, are bringing the younger people back uh, because it's something the state definitely needs. And I think in this whole movement that really started, I'll say, in the 80s, the beer and food scene ha has helped and hopefully will accelerate that. Beer. There's a fun fact about Maine. Maine was the first state to outlaw beer and liquor sales. I don't know if you, if you knew that. In 1846. So what's that? 70 years before Prohibition, uh, Maine outlawed it first. And that's sort of ironic that now... I did not know that. <laughs> that's sort of ironic that now Maine, and Portland in particular, is, is helping to lead the resurgence of microbrews. And everything. But uh, yeah, so Maine endured 80 years, give or take, of prohibition, not just uh, the standard 
13, I guess, that it was nationally. I like to think that a lot of people were still up in the mountains brewing beer and distilling liquor. And it's, I mean, I don't just like to think that. I'm sure there were a lot of people <laughs> up in the mountains. <laughs> I will guarantee that there were people who were breaking the, the law. But, uh, you know, but really, the first microbrew to come into the state of Maine to start was uh, Geary's in 1983. And they had this uh, pale ale. And I remember that coming out. Um, you know, probably used to steal it from my parents here and there in the early 90s or mid-90s. And I think that may be what you can trace the the beer revolution to, because then Gritty McDuff's opened in 1988, a few years later, and then really eventually uh, Shipyard came out in 94. And maybe that's when, you know, they said, hey, microbrews can be a thing in the state of Maine and the Portland area, which is great. That really started off. And then for food, uh, believe it or not, we most of the credit goes to a person named Dana Street. And uh, his name's great because now there is a Dana Street in downtown Portland. Uh, maybe that was always there. I don't know. Or maybe it's named after him. I'm not sure. But he opened his first restaurant called Street & Co., uh, which to this day is, I think, my, my favorite shrimp scampi I've had in the entire world. Uh, it's absolutely my number one favorite shrimp scampi. It, it uses, I think, a full pound of butter and two whole garlic clove not cloves, but... What do they call garlic roots? Garlic, heads Entire of garlic, garlic I think. I know, whatever you call heads of garlic. Yeah, two. It's and it's amazing. And then he opened his second restaurant called Four Street, and Four Street is what's credit with really putting Portland uh, dining scene on the map. And really, the that's what blossomed into uh, Portland's really now complete dining scene. Uh, and it's and he's recently opened a, a third place a few years ago, so he had some space in between them. Um, but he's widely giving credit for for the Portland food scene. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe his third restaurant is where Jeff and I dined together at Scales. Is that right? Scales is Scales is the newer one. A few years ago, uh, right on the water, uh, the big. It's pretty big, so the biggest by far. A great little um, little bar where they give oysters and have a good wine list, and of course. I mean, it's right on the docks, so uh, great seafood. And when we went to Scales, I was, I can say I was not excited to go to dinner at all because we had had so, stopped at so many breweries and had so much food during the day. I was like, there's not, like, I'm just going to get an appetizer or a salad or something. And I was there, so I ordered a piece of fish and I took one bite of it and I thought, oh my God, I need to eat this whole thing. And sure enough, I ate the entire piece of fish. I truly believe. My memory isn't the best, but from from what I can remember, that was the best cooked piece of fish I have ever had in my life. It was absolutely amazing. That's what you told me as we were walking out. I distinctly remember it. The best piece of fish I've ever had. Yeah, I would go back there any day. I would. Uh, there were so many things that I ate in Portland that just made me want to live there for a while and eat. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, right? It's a city of 66,000 people, uh, give or take. And it's a relatively new scene, right? I mean, I just told you, beer started in the 80s, food really late 80s into the, in the, to the 90s. Um, and it's really helped, I think, the economy and, you know, tourism and everything uh, amazingly. So it's great. And as good as the food is, Stu, I'm sure you would agree with me. If, if our listeners missed our four episodes we aired from Portland and us raving about it, 
Portland has done as much as it can in the last 20 years to make up for 80 years of prohibition because there are there are breweries and brew pubs on every corner in Portland throughout the city and the surrounding area. So do you have a count of how many breweries that you went to in within the the town, the city lines of Portland? I want to say we did. I think it was like 3000. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Give or take 1500 a day. (laughs) (laughs) No, so so there's actually I mean, COVID has potentially changed this, right? Uh, There's either 16 or 17 breweries within the city limits of Portland, right? And now let's put this in perspective. 16 breweries, 66,000 people. So Portland has the highest per capita breweries per person of any city in the U.S. And there's a couple others that are, that are close, but it, Portland is number one per capita. And that's not even counting the breweries that are just outside the city limits because there's a lot of them there too. Correct. There's Foul Mouth Brewery around in South Portland, and there's a couple just outside, you know, nearby. So yeah, those are the ones actually in Portland, highest per capita. Did, did you have a favorite? Yes. I'm a big fan of Bissell. Um, I've, I've, I've been going there for six or seven years now and absolutely love it. Uh, we tried a new one this time though, for the first time, um, some flower. I can't recall the name of it. Now. Bellflower. Bellflower. Yes. It was wonderful. Uh, one of my top, one of my favorites. So I've not, I've not been there yet. So, so Bissell was great. Bissell took off really relatively fast, right? It was more inland, I think, with where, you know, Allagash, and there's a couple right across from Allagash Foundation and uh, whatever. Uh, maybe Austin Street is the other one right there. It started off there, and they outgrew that space so quickly that they moved into that bigger space that, that you've gone to, uh, right down where there's a pavilion. I think they have concerts there and everything. And I would say Bissell Brothers has is, is grown dramatically uh, at a rapid pace, uh, which is great. You guys are hurting my soul a little bit because Bissell Brothers was still closed when we were there, so I have yet to make it there. <laughs> and I'm a little sad about that. But uh, Bellflower was the new one that we went to, and they had just opened a couple months before we were there. But that was uh, started by a couple of guys that used to work at Trillium, and they they definitely have a lot of beer background, so they were immediately putting out good beers. Uh, even just being open for a couple of weeks, I think, when we were there. And I, and I still love Allagash. I think Allagash is the one that has made its way the furthest out of Maine now um, and done a great job. You can find Allagash in, in New York City. I'm sure you can find it. Can you find it down in Northern Virginia, D.C. area down there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so they've done a great job. I think you can get that everywhere. Yeah, and distribution is really the, the name of the game. It's hard for them to get distribution when there's so many big guys uh, that don't want them involved, right? So that helps. And we were at Allagash. I think we were there the second day that they were open since COVID. And we were at outdoor tables, but they have their uh, little lobster truck outside that I think at least it looked like it permanently lives there. I'm pretty sure it does. And we got a series of lobster rolls. Actually, Derek's wife, Sarah, and I shared them. And they were delicious. And just sitting there with an Allagash beer and enjoying the outdoors on that nice day. It was like heaven. So you mentioned a couple of restaurants that kind of got things started and breweries that kind of got things started. But I want to get your opinion on some of your favorites, like the 
I guess give us a, a couple of restaurants that are not to be missed and a couple of breweries that you would absolutely not miss when you head to Portland for a day or when when I guess our listeners head to Portland for a day because you probably stay for longer. Uh, I do. I was actually just up there staying with my parents, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And so I got to relive Portland by being there for a bit instead of just visiting like normal. Yeah. I mean, so the three that we mentioned before, Dana Street, all those places are fantastic. They're, they're upscale-ish, so on the pricier side. You can't go to Maine without lobster rolls, right? So after beer, was lobster rolls the second most thing that you, that you had? My guess is potentially. I had quite a few lobster rolls, yeah. <laughs> I can see that, especially not still. I mean, I can't see that even though I can see you on the screen right now. But, I, but you should is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I had a lobster taco and a che- like a fried cheese taco shell. I had. Oh, uh, you went to High Roller, didn't rolls. you? I did. You went to High Roller. Exactly. That's <laughs> so. um, And it's great. Lo- lobster rolls. There's different ways to make lobster rolls, but the classic way in Maine is with mayonnaise. Sometimes there's a bed of lettuce. Sometimes there's not. Um, I really, really like when this isn't just specific to Maine or Portland, but everywhere. I like it when people take the old and push the boundaries into something a little bit different. Right. And as much as I love all those classic lobster rolls and I want them still there, uh, places like Eventide, I don't know if you made it to Eventide, but they did exactly what I said. They pushed the boundary. Instead of using mayonnaise, they used a browned butter on top and they put it in a, a boiled roll, right? So, so they're smaller. Uh, it probably takes three lobster rolls to equal one normal lobster roll. They're not cheap, but it's different. And so Eventide at this point in time is my favorite lobster roll in Portland. That's the best one I had. We sat in the rain to eat at Eventide. We did. And we got my wife and I shared a lobster roll <laughs> along with a couple other dishes. And at the end, we were just like, maybe we should just get one more lobster roll. And we got another one at the end of the meal. Right. They're, they're small. So they're probably, what, $13 each, I think, right now. So if you get three of them, which is probably what you should do, it's like 39 bucks. So it is not cheap, but they're good. Yeah, absolutely. I I was a huge fan of that. And I tell people, I'm like, well, this is where you need to go get a lobster roll. It's not your typical lobster roll, just exactly what you said. It's not the the cold lobster roll, but it's the delicious warm lobster roll. I feel like in talking to you as you're giving these recommendations and you keep asking, like, did you go here? And we keep saying, yes, we did go there. I think we did a pretty good job when we went to Portland. Well, and to be fair, now you should have watched my episode on Portland that I put out maybe a year, year and a half ago, which highlights some, some of these places. So maybe we can pretend that that's how you got all these recommendations, right? I'm going to go ahead and say yes. That's exactly what we did. <laughs> it sounds right. like it. we're hitting all of your spots, so we clearly watched right. the video. And then, of course, is the, if the line is too long at eventide, you walk basically across the street to duck fat, where they have paninis and the ducks are all made in duck fat, and they now have a little... They call it a freak shack at Oxbow, which is another microbrew, you know, about a couple miles away. So then you get the duck fat fries and the beer all in one. That's a win-win for everyone. We may or may not have done that as well. <laughs> so, so now, so let, let's try something different then. So you've, you've come to New York. So New York, Philadelphia, there's big Italian, Italian populations down here, right? The, the Italian population in Maine isn't necessarily so big, 
but an Italian sandwich in Maine is very different than what you get down here in the New York area. And so did you happen to try an Italian sandwich up in Maine? No, no. We only ate lobster and beer. (laughs) And I can't, I can't knock you for that. But so an, an Italian immigrant actually back in like 1903 or 1905 started selling these sandwiches down at the docks for the fishermen and lobstermen and whatever. And uh, a few years later, turned it into a, got a storefront and his last name was Amato. I think it was Giovanni Amato, right? So he called his sandwich shop Amato's and he called it an Italian sandwich, not because it's what we know as an Italian sandwich down here, but because he was Italian and he would pay homage to his Italian ancestry and everything. And so, you know, you make it with several types of meat, right? And some cheese, you put all the works on there, which is peppers, onions, usually olives, and then oil and vinegar. And it's a soft bread. A lot of the times the Italian bread up here will be the the crunchy bread. But Amato's Italian sandwiches, I will say, it's now unfortunately become a, a regional chain. So there's a bunch of them. But the true Amato's Italian sandwich goes back 115 years now and is another thing that you have to try next time you're up there. We'll definitely add that to the list. And now that we've covered Portland a little bit, I want to switch over to the other place, which has come up already a couple times, but uh, Mexico and specifically the Playa del Carmen, Cancun, Cozumel. um, You went a few other places as well, but that, that area of the Quintana Roo province or state. First of all, Let's get into why you went down there, because it was during the pandemic. People probably know by now that myself and my family, we spent a month down there. I ended up there six weeks due to some unforeseen circumstances. But towards the end of that, uh, you came down to Mexico. Was it sheerly peer pressure, or did you have that in your head before we started telling you to come down? Uh, No, but I love how you staying an extra two weeks was unforeseen circumstances and not just, I wanted to stay too. Well, I was going to stay a little bit, but there were, I mean, there was a tropical storm and a hurricane and I had to take two COVID tests. So, I mean, none of that was expected. I'm not saying I would have gone home before that, but there were, I remember early October, there were two hurricanes that came with like what, within a week, a week mm-hmm. apart basically. And I had landed right before the first one. And yeah, that first week was two hurricanes, then a third hurricane uh, later in the month. Um, no, so I, as travelers, right, we, we always want to leave where we are. And Mexico happened to be one place that made the decision to stay open to American tourists. So it was really the, the one place we could go. Although I didn't have too much fear myself, I did not want to push travel and promote travel uh, at that point in time. But I felt safe for myself and and Janice at the time to move somewhere for a long period of time and call it a home. You know, back last March, April, May, New York City was, you know, they said the epicenter of the epicenter. And there was really no reason to be in New York City. We were all working remotely. We could work from anywhere there was Wi-Fi. I can make videos. Uh, No reason to be in New York City at all. We actually subletted out our apartment got rid of that early on. And that freed up a lot of time to spend some time with family and then also go to Mexico. And I bought a one-way ticket and I had no clue when I would come back to New York. I just knew that I could always get a flight back. And I spent that first couple of weeks with you 
finding an apartment to actually move in. And we, we found one in Playa del Carmen. Uh, so we, we had an apartment in, in Playa del Carmen for many, many, many months, uh, which is great. So we actually were able to move in and experience living there as opposed to just going to a resort or going for a week or two. Yeah, that was similar to our reasoning and deciding to go down there. It was part of it was just we needed to get out of the house so that my wife and children and I didn't all go crazy with them being schooling at home. But also it was just the opportunity, like if everyone's going to be virtual anyway, why not be virtual from Playa del Carmen? <laughs> that's better than our house. So that's what we did. And it was, again, it was fairly similar thinking in that we wanted to go somewhere we didn't feel like we could go places and switch places every three or four days because that wouldn't be safe to do that travel. But at the time we moved down there, the numbers in Playa del Carmen were actually better than they were in the D.C. area. So it, it was safer for us to take that one flight. And then their procedures were very good at all of the restaurants and all of the stores. And it was actually things were locked down even a little bit tighter than they were here in the U.S. at that point. So we moved to a safer location for a month. And like you said, we were able to get an apartment and really find our favorite places. And like I had my favorite bar I went to and we had our favorite restaurants that we went to with the kids and we had favorite taco places. And it was neat to be able to do that long term travel with the whole family. Yeah, it just wasn't the time to be promoting travel. But at the same time, you know, I felt comfortable and I felt it being reasonable to go and move somewhere outside of New York City for a period of time and experiencing something like that, um, which is great. I mean, we just, yeah, you, to your point, we didn't want to move around every, every week or even two. We wanted a real home base to experience living somewhere. And once you had the apartment, did you plan to start taking day trips or longer trips out to do some exploring in Mexico? Or were you planning to just stay local most of the time? Yeah, so that's exactly what we did is we took some, some trips. It actually took me a little while to find the apartment because I was going through Airbnb and I found one I liked, but you know, I had to move within the building a couple times until I finally found the one bedroom that was open for a lot longer. Uh, and then what we did is we, we, for the most part, we kept that as our home base. And then we could go places uh, like Isla Mujeres, which is off the coast of Cancun, uh, and check that out for, I, th I think we booked two weeks there. Um, we actually ended up liking it so much that we ended up going back a couple months later and staying almost a full month longer uh, at that time. We'd go to Cozumel. We made a little quick trip down to Tulum, uh, which is actually where we found out that we were pregnant. And we only spent a few days there at the weekend, but, you know, could come back to Playa del Carmen and have our, you know, nice one bedroom apartment and feel comfortable there. I say, plus the apartments are great down there. They're compared to New York City, they're very inexpensive, and they a lot of them have rooftop pools. So how can you not like just? Yeah, we didn't have a rooftop pool, but we did have a pool, and we had a rooftop deck on our apartment that was private just for us. So our apartment was lovely down there. It's interesting that you say, or I guess fun that you found out that uh, Janice was pregnant when you were in Tulum, and I joke around. One of my best friends has um they had their first son in germany um he was working for a company over there and he always joked that they were going to get tattooed on his foot made in germany so you could get like a little made in mexico for your daughter 
so we did our baby shower was actually themed made in Mexico and I had Mexican flags uh, hanging and we were trying to talk in Spanish as best we can. We got, I think, chili quiles and some tacos uh, for, for food and it was fantastic. And I even wanted to name my daughter Tulum. Janice wouldn't let me. I tried to then name her Josefina Cuervo. <laughs> that didn't go over well either, naming after tequila. Uh, you know, but I'm glad that uh, Janice was around to talk some sense into you for your daughter's sake. Uh, come on, Josefina <laughs> Cuervo. That, that's great. It's definitely come something. On. So you ended up staying in Mexico for nine months, you said? Uh, yeah, it was, I think, right about nine months total. And you explored a lot of areas. You saw a lot of things. You ate a lot of places. Give us a quick rundown of some of the best and worst of Mexico, whether it be the food or whether it be the struggles to find lodging, just a couple of the, the real highlights of the trip and a couple, if there were any of the lowlights of the trip. Yeah. So we spent our entire time in Quintana Roo, which is where Cancun and Playa del Carmen all are, the Yucatan Peninsula, right? So obviously some of those places are pretty touristy, right? And Again, part of the big reason you don't want to stay in resorts, other than money or points and blowing through all that, uh, is, is the food. You know, we really wanted to live, even if they were tourist destinations, we wanted to live somewhere where we could go and explore the town and, and walk around. Um, and I think it was, it was my second or third day there. You and Caroline took me out and you got chili quiles. And despite all my research about things, I did... I had never had chilaquiles before. And that started a, by the time I left, I probably had chilaquiles 150 times uh, after that introduction that you helped me make. Because they're amazing. I mean, it's, it's like nachos for breakfast and they're great with sauce. So you can make it get them a little spicier or not. You put fried eggs on them. They're fantastic. So you do have to get a little further inland sometimes uh, to get some of the authentic spots. Uh, but even the tourist areas, there, there's there's great places there. I mean, the area was big for in Mayan culture, right? So there's there's Mayan food that we, every, we all think of burritos and tacos as being Mexican, even though burritos actually were are more of a northern Mexico border of Texas thing, right? But what you don't always know about are you know the chicken mole. You know, there's a bunch of different versions of mole sauce. Uh, there's chili rellenos, which are basically stuffed chilies with, with cheese, and you can put meat in there as well. So there's a lot of different cuisines that are sort of unique to that area of Mexico. So it's fantastic. And you're spending the winter in Mexico when it was snowing and sleeting and 24 degrees up in the northeast U.S., right? So uh, I didn't miss that. So as we close up our section on travel here, let's get into some of the the best places. And again, if, the, if there are any worse places you've been, but uh, let's talk about some of the best places you've been in the world for beer. <laughs> so the best places, I'm going to, I'm going to leave out Portland because we've already discussed that. And that is my number one. I'm a little biased, but I also think, Hey, it's in contention. Um, I mean, beer, beer is great. It, to be honest, it's been 12 years since I've been to Belgium. And Belgium has both the best and the worst beer, and, or my best and worst beer experiences anyway, right? The be Belgium is, 
Belgium, first of all, does everything in threes, right? Whether it's their languages, you know, it's French, Flemish, and a little bit of German. And even their, their flag has three stripes, right? And when it comes to food, they do three things amazing. Chocolate, French fries, and beer. And the beer is fantastic. The problem with the beer is it's generally all, what, 6 to 9% ABV? Sometimes higher. So as great as it is, <laughs> right, as great as the beer is there, you have to know what you're getting into and plan accordingly. And I did not do that one night. I think I was drinking it like it was Miller Lite, 7.2% alcohol. The problem is if you're drinking Belgian beer like it's Miller Lite, it's going to be a little different result at the end of the night, right? And so I think one night I went out and I was drinking like it was American Pilsner. And you put down six or eight Belgian beers, it's the same as 12 or 13 American beers. It will hit you eventually, right? So I think the best and worst beer experiences can easily be had in, uh, in Belgium. And just remember, although the French fries are, are incredible, like you say, in Belgium, they can't prevent your night when you're drinking Belgian doubles, triples, and quads, right? Eventually, no amount of carbs is going to save you. But it's worth giving it a shot. I mean, it's market research. This, you're a professional at this. <laughs> so on the flip side of things, a uh, couple of places that are your favorites in the world, places that you think our listeners need to see because they were amazing for one reason or another. So I think if you're a bucket list kind of person, uh, you absolutely have to go to places like Oktoberfest, right? I mean, it's, I don't know how many thousand drinking liters of beer, singing songs. Uh, you get the Hendel, which is the, the half chicken served only during the Oktoberfest period. And if you want other things, you know, inexpensive places, Southeast Asia, the, the Philippines are probably my favorite place to travel. They're inexpensive. The people are amazing. They just love you. If you hang out and talk to them, they'll ask you really questions about what you think about the Philippines and where your favorite place to go is. The cuisine is very underrated. You know, very few of us know Filipino cuisine and a lot of it comes from other places, pansy. It's like uh, noodles and uh, adobo chicken and everything, but it's, it's beautiful. If you go to places like El Nido and even Boracay is sort of more of a beach town. Uh, and then of course, Thailand is, you know, potentially the best or one of the best cuisines in the world, inexpensive, beautiful. If you go to the Coes and, uh, you know, fi um, what the PP islands, right. They just, they come right out of the, out of the water. Um, so I really love Southeast Asia for cuisine, uh, price. And it's so far away. It's half a world away, which just makes it that much better because it takes, it's so much more difficult to get to right? Yeah, it's kind of like a good reward. You you make it this far, then you get this amazing place with scenery and food and people and just a fantastic place to be once you finally get there. Right. I can go to Columbus, Ohio any day, you know, but <laughs> it, it takes 22-hour flight to get to Southeast Asia, so. 
All right, so a couple of spots that people need to see. Luckily, I've been to a couple of those, but I do need to get to the Philippines, it sounds like. That's something I'm missing out on. So maybe as things open back up, I'll look at planning a trip there. I definitely miss Southeast Asia, and like you said, that other half of the world, there's so much to see and do there that I haven't done yet. So, you know, another podcast episode will end, and I'll be searching for flights once again. Seems to keep happening every time. And eventually the world will open back up again and we can get back into places like that and hopefully everything will be back to normal. And as we close up here, let's just let everyone know where they can find you. We mentioned some spots before, but if you could just run through real quick where people can find you and find my foods too online. Uh, yeah, so the best place to find me and right now the, the place most people do find me is on Facebook, uh, Find My Food Stew. It's... Facebook has this weird, weird algorithm where they won't let you change your name to something that they don't think is, is relevant. So they give you a hard time about changing your name, but uh, find, my stew, find My Food Stew on Facebook. I have a website, findmyfoodstew.com, where I publish all the videos that are on Facebook or YouTube and also supplement with articles. And then of course, YouTube as well, uh, my page channel is find my food still. So the rebrand is almost in full effect. Uh, it's getting there. All right. Fantastic. And we'll link all up to that. Stu, thank you so much, especially with how busy you are with a newborn and trying to uh, figure out life as a dad for the first time. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to chat with us. It's been a great conversation and uh, I can't wait till the next time we're able to travel together again. Absolutely. I, I, nothing's going to change though, right? It's going to be the same as it was before 20 days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, no, everything's going to change. The, the one thing I do need to work on is my dad jokes. Uh, I've only had 20 days of practice with those. So I will, I will have some of those for you next time I'm with you. Yeah, and maybe next time we have you on the show, then you can you can be the uh, king of dad jokes and also tell us where to eat. So thanks so much for being here, Stu. Great talking to you. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Derek. Have a great one. Thanks, Stu. It's always fun to reminisce with Stu about the places we've been and the drinks we've shared over the years, but now it's time to get to the Miles and Points with Pints segment and get you some updates on credit cards, hotels, airlines, and what's going on in the world of travel. Where do we start this week, Derek? I think we start the same place we always do because there's a crazy, crazy offer from Chase and we just can't get over how good an offer this is, so we have to keep talking about it. Yeah, we may have asked before, but our listeners haven't chimed in. There are such things as broken records on podcasts, because I feel like we are a broken record every week. But it goes without saying, this offer is so good, we have to talk about it. Chase Sapphire Preferred still has the 100,000-point offer for 4,000 spend in three months. Uh, that that offer has been sweetened in the last couple of weeks. You now get a $50 hotel credit for any hotel book through the Chase Travel Portal. You also earn 10% points back for dollars spent on an annual basis. So if you spend $10,000, you get a 1,000-point bonus at the end of the year. 
Uh, if you spend $25,000, for example, you get 2,500 points back. So a great card, the highest ever offer before was made better two weeks ago with those new benefits, $50 hotel credit and an annual rebate, along with better earning structure, uh, three times points on online groceries, uh, three times points at restaurants, uh, and a few others. So, Jeff, I know you, like me, uh, probably signed up many years ago at 50000 Back then, it was still the best beginner card uh, in the rewards travel uh, game for newbies. Uh, 50,000 points back then, historically, about 2016 or 2017, we saw it go to 60. And, um, you know, it's hard to describe how good this offer is now at 100,000 plus all these other perks. Yes, indeed. And I got it when it was 50 way back that many years ago. My wife got one then. Um, She just got another one last fall, I think November or December. The bonus went up to 80,000 points. So we jumped on that for her. And then I just got another one this summer. I finally fell under 524 and got that 100,000 point offer, but I still didn't get the best offer because I did it before they added that $50 hotel credit. So it just, I, I mean, it's gone up and up and up. I think this is as high as it's going to get. And the reason we want to keep mentioning it is we've started to see some questions from people about how long is this going to last? When is this going to end? And we don't know when it's going to end but it's been around long enough that people are asking. So I don't know. It's going to be limited to some time frame. We don't know what it is. But anyone who wants to get started in miles and points, if you're listening to the podcast and hearing about this kind of thing for the first time, start with this card. It's as easy as that. Best one that you can get. Minimum. Anyone can figure out an easy, easy way to make those 100,000 points worth $1,250. First, you can use what's called pay yourself back and erase $1,250 in grocery spend. We're all spending money at grocery stores these days, Jeff. You could write off grocery spend, literally get $1,250 just erasing your grocery spend if that's how you want to do it off that card. Uh, If you want to send it to travel partners... Uh, you can easily get $2,000 or more. So for for a $95 annual fee, like you say, the place to start. We cannot stress that enough. Right off the bat, it's at least an $1,100 plus moneymaker even after paying that annual fee. So if you're eligible, you don't have a Sapphire and you haven't earned a bonus in the last 48 months, Go get the card. We'd appreciate it if you use the Miles and Pints links at milesandpints.com. And the other card that we keep talking about because that bonus is still up there is the City Premier, still at 80,000 points for a sign-up bonus on that card. And again, it's, I mean, it fell slightly below the Chase Sapphire Preferred, I think, when you look at the new benefits added to that Chase Sapphire Preferred. But the City Premier still definitely one of the best everyday spenders out there with the three times points on grocery, gas, uh, a couple other things I can't remember. Derek, you probably know them off the top of your head. But the two cards together, I don't know. I just We haven't seen offers like this before, and I think it's fantastic. Highest possible offer on that, too. Other news from City, well, I guess from... The team over at Miles to Memory City decided to take away their credit card affiliate links today because they didn't like the articles that they had written about having issues with city fraud and with getting fraud alerts 
rectified and some of the other posts they had done over there. So it's sad to see what happened to those folks over at Miles to Memory still putting out some great information for us. But uh, just so you know, they're not making any money from City anymore, sadly for them. Yeah, and uh, obviously uh, Mark and Sean over there at Miles to Memories, they are friends of the podcast. They're also personal friends of both uh, both you and I, Jeff. And uh, you, you certainly hate to see uh, anyone uh, in our space lose a source of income. Uh, and it's even worse when it's nice guys that lost uh, these affiliate links solely for telling the truth. Mark wrote a series, series of articles over the last six months or so outlining he and his wife's difficulty with city uh, on various things, sign-up bonuses, fraud alerts, like you said. Uh, the latest uh, tipping point apparently was an article a few weeks ago uh, about uh, combining your points and needing to do so before redeeming points to get a 10% rebate from a Rewards Plus credit card. Uh, city apparently did not like that, and they pulled their links. You know, we... You know, we shouldn't be punished, those of us uh, that talk about um, the rewards game, and uh, we create content for our listeners, for our readers. We have one duty, I think, and that is to honestly and objectively present information to our listeners. We shouldn't be punished for telling the truth, just for telling the truth and, and not even really offering an opinion, just explaining what happened and saying this is not right and needs to be fixed you should never lose a source of income over that no not a move that i'm a fan of from city but you know city and i have had our issues over the years <laughs> yeah generally they treat me pretty well though and also they have a great credit card product out there right now and a great offer so we're still going to keep recommending them although you may have one or two issues and uh We'll talk about it if it happens to us. You can't be too mad at the bank that let us get away with the gravy train for so long, right? Yeah. Though it did lose, lead to my American Air account getting shut down, so <laughs> I can still be a little bit mad. <laughs> yeah. And again, another perfect example of how bad the IT is over at City. You know, uh, that's a perfect example. Everyone in our space, if you don't know about what we're talking about, go Google the gravy train. That's with two A's, uh, usually capitalized as in American Airlines, the gravy train. Um, the fact that they were able to not stop that or unable to stop that for years and years and years until American Airlines um, got wind of it, that's exactly what Mark, the kind of stuff Mark was pointing out, like your IT is so bad, you got to fix it, you got to get to the 21st century. And they took offense to that and pulled links. So, you know, you would think they would just say, hey, you know, maybe we should take this as constructive criticism and, and fix a few things. Nope. Let's let's silence the people that don't fall in line. So kudos to those guys over at Miles to Memories for speaking the truth. And we'll move on now to the point debit card. We have talked about that on the podcast before. You have it. Uh, I have it. Your wife has it. I actually don't think I've gotten it for my wife yet now that I am saying that. And that's crazy. I don't know why I haven't because the card is just a flat money maker. It's got a $49 annual fee. You get, if you do it through a, a referral link, you get a 10,000 points, which is equal to $100 after spending $1,000 in the first 30 days. But the reason we're bringing it up again, that offer is still valid, 
but they put all these bonuses on it. And some of them are streak bonuses. If you do spending for five straight days, you get a 30 or $35 bonus. I know you've taken advantage of that. I've done one or two of those. But the one that came out today, which people are excited about, is uh, 10 times points on target purchases up to $500. So Target sells a lot of things. I know a lot of people that spend a lot of money at Target. If you can buy some essentials or if you need a new piece of furniture, you need some new clothes and you can spend up to $500 while this offer is valid with your point debit card, you get $50 back. So it's basically a 10% rebate on your Target purchases. Great offer for them. And again, they're just throwing money at us. We should all take it. And you and I both signed up in the June timeframe and continuously since that time there have been similar offers either 5 or 10x which again is 5 to 10% uh, at Amazon that's gone continuously uh, also each time up to $50 back uh, per uh, time periods typically about three to four weeks and and again those have just happened one after another so you get the point debit card pay that $49 annual fee you come out $51 ahead after you spend a thousand bucks and get that bonus and then uh, like you say these retailers you're getting between five and ten percent cash back up to fifty dollars a try um, it's like you say it is a flat-out moneymaker And I saw someone mention today, I hadn't noticed it, but there is currently 5x points at Costco, which anytime I go to Costco, I spend a few hundred dollars. So that'll be easy for me to hit because they trick me. They trick me with all those things and the samples and I just keep buying stuff. You're an impulse shopper. They love you. (laughs) It's the whole design of the store. It's fantastic. I once bought in a, a, it wasn't Costco, it was back when we were at Sam's Club. And I did not go planning to purchase any furniture and I went and my wife and I split up and she was picking up something and I was picking something else and she found me sitting at a table and I was like, I like this table, let's buy it. And we bought the table, like spur of the moment, <laughs> replaced our dining room table. So yeah, I'm I'm the perfect shopper for those warehouse yeah. stores and I'll be excited to get uh, five times points when I next go. Exactly. And you know, one one offer I did not see mentioned really anywhere uh, that, that popped up quickly on the point debit card last week for only a period of uh, three or four days, I believe, uh, the point debit card was offering 15 times points or 15% cash back on delivery, uh, food delivery services, Grubhub, DoorDash, uh, a few others I can't think of, maybe Caviar. Um, we saw it at the last moment, a day or two before it expired, and uh, did a DoorDash order uh, for dinner we were going to order anyway, and the points have already posted. So we got, uh, you know, literally for using this debit card rather than what we'd typically put on an MX Gold for four times membership rewards, we put on our point debit card and got 15% cash back. So, hey, um, it's not a card I would recommend for everyday spend, but for these uh, limited time uh, promotion opportunities, you can't beat 15% cash back. Doesn't matter if it's cash back or points. 15% return is uh, legit with a capital L. And that does it for credit cards. Not that much to talk about in credit cards other than these great offers that have been around for a little bit and are still active. And we're just going to keep telling you to get these cards until you get them because we get them and everyone should. They're wonderful offers. We'll move on now to hotels and the Hilton Honors 
power up your points promotion which just details have just come out in the past couple of days you must register for this promotion but it is for stays between september 7th and december 31st so it goes all the way through the end of the year and with this promotion you get two times base points for your stays or you get three times base points when you're paying with an amex uh, sorry, not an Amex with a with a Hilton Honors co-branded card. Most of these are from Amex in the U.S. This offer is when I first saw this, I was like, "Oh, three times base points, not that big a deal," or two times base points, not that big a deal. And then I read an article, I think over at One Mile at a Time, where they detailed what you would actually earn on this, and it's, I mean, it gets crazy. You can earn if you have the. American Express Hilton Aspire card, which gives you diamond status, you can earn up to 54 points per dollar on stays with this. Because you normally get 10 points per dollar base. That gets multiplied by three with this promo, so you're up to 30. Then you get an, an additional 10 because you're diamond, an additional 14 because you have the Aspire card. So 54 points per dollar, even if you only value those at half a cent a point, it's a 27% rebate on stays in the points that you've earned. That's crazy. I'm really bad at math, but 27% is good. 27% <laughs> is great. We were just excited about 10x and, yeah. and five, 15, yeah. right. 15% back. And now we're talking about 27% back on hotel stays. So Right. And it's not much, but when you're paying cash, you can also stack Hilton with a portal. Uh, I believe it's typically on Rakuten for uh, if you're a Diamond member, I believe you get 1% back. Again, it's not much, but you start earning 54 Hilton points per dollar and 1 MR per dollar, you're getting close to 30% return, right? I mean, this is nuts. And I will say for our uh, more seasoned points and miles fanatics out there that are listening to the show, this is perfect timing, again, Valid for stays 9-7 through 12-31. This is the time of year you start thinking about mattress runs to uh, to finish off any status. If you don't have diamond or you're trying to hit any of those Hilton bonus point um, earning levels uh, for the amount of nights you need for the year. So if you have a Hilton uh, mattress run out there for any reason, it's a really, really good stack. 54X is, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. Absolutely. And I have some stays I'm going to need to be booking in Europe for a trip that I'm still hoping is going to happen next month. I Some not so great news about that uh, that we'll talk about a little later on. But I will definitely be looking to Hilton for some of those stays because this is, I mean, it's a tremendous return. If I can find reasonable rates, I'll be booking at Hilton using my Aspire card. And maybe I'll get a nice upgrade as a, as a Diamond member. Yeah, I mean, again, Hilton points are not the most valuable, but this is an opportunity to earn them in bunches, right? 54X is probably the definition of earning points in bunches. Be 5,400 points per $100 in spend. Now, you're, you know, 5,400 Hilton points aren't earth shattering. You know, it's tough to find a Hilton for less than 15 or 20,000 points, even, you know, uh, some 50 or $60 hotel. But um, I wouldn't run out and book hotels just to earn 54X. 
But if you already have stays, like you say, Jeff, this is enough that if hotels in a place you're going are comparatively priced, even if you're a Hyatt loyalist or you're a Marriott loyalist, it's enough to make you book the Hampton Inn across the street at a similar price because you're getting a you know 27 to 30% return uh, if you stack it with Rakuten. Great offer. Absolutely great promo from, from Hilton this time. Hyatt also has a promo out. We decided ahead of time not even to talk about it because it's junk. It's You get an extra 1,000 American air miles if you book hotels, stays in places we're not allowed to travel to. It's <laughs> You can read about it online if you want to know about it. We're not going to talk any more about it. And then the last thing in the hotels world that I wanted to mention If you played the game last week with Wyndham Rewards, I think it was last week or the week before, they had uh, trivia, the trivia game, trivia contest, trivia, I don't know, a trivia question each day and you could go and answer the question and you earned 750 points. And I thought you had to get it right, but I got one of them wrong because I didn't bother looking up the answer and I still got points for that. But they did not automatically award points for that. What they've done is send an email to your registered email with them with a link to claim the points. So if you played that trivia game and you're expecting points to show up, go into your email and find that email and click through that to claim your points. And people might be thinking, you know, Wyndham points and whatever. But I did have about 10,000 in my account that were about to expire. So this was the perfect time for me. I threw 1,500 points at it by answering trivia questions two days. And now my points won't expire with them. Sounds like Wyndham has hired a Marriott Bonvoy uh, executive to uh, run their trivia game. You you win some points, but they have to email you for you to then claim them. Man, all of these places, all of them are looking for breakage, right? They want to they want to look so good to all their customers. We're giving you points. Well, you also have to jump through fifty four hoops, and then uh, and then do some handstands and some cartwheels, and then we'll give you half the points we promised, or maybe all of them. But you got to do more cartwheels and and uh, gymnastics to get there. So uh, I'm so tired of this. I will say they they did they uh, are giving people until I think it was the end of October, at least mid October to click that link but unless they send reminder emails there's nobody that's going to be there on october going oh yeah i have to click the link to get my 1500 Wyndham points so i'm gonna yeah how many people are going to read that email and think i'm not going to do this now i'm going to set a calendar reminder for two months from now to come back and click this ain't happening and they know it there's going to be four people that happen to be clearing out their email inboxes <laughs> on the, the second week of October that are going to be like, ooh, and they'll yeah. do it. That's and, it. Unf- and unfortunately, the, there will be 2,000 that are cleaning out their inbox the first week of November and be like, oh, I forgot to do that. So, you know, just a nice reminder from your friendly podcast hosts to read your emails when they come from those loyalty programs because they might be telling you that you have to do something to get the points that you thought you already earned. (laughs) (laughs) Always something, Jeff. Always something. 
that's it for the hotel news. We will move on to airlines. And believe it or not, there is still a pandemic going on worldwide. And airlines what? are... Yeah, I know, I know. We thought we were rid of it just a few months ago and life was returning back to normal. Unfortunately, that seemed to be premature. Uh, and the airlines are also kind of taking a step back and reassessing things. This week, Delta added a bunch of restrictions kind of internally. Uh, our friend over at Thrifty Tra- uh, Traveler, Kyle, uh, broke the news that Delta was adding restrictions for unvaccinated employees. A series of restrictions for those Delta employees that are unvaccinated, they're required to wear a mask indoors at work. Uh, they must begin to take weekly COVID tests and test negative uh, starting on September 12th. Uh, and that's to last, quote unquote, while community case rates are high. Uh, That tells me for the foreseeable future. Um, And then there's also, and this is maybe slightly controversial for some, there is a $200 monthly health care surcharge on insurance premiums uh, for the unvaccinated starting on November 1st. So reading between the lines here, Jeff, uh, Delta is encouraging strongly all of their employees to go get vaccinated probably before September 12th. But worst case scenario by the end of October. And I wonder in looking at the way this is worded and the restrictions they've put on it, if they if the talks broke down with the unions when they said they were going to require people to get vaccinated and the unions were fighting against that and Delta said, Okay, fine, we'll do it this way then. And we've already seen I think it was the pilots union come out and say that this is unfair and they'll be fighting it and a variety of people are saying, no, you can't do this. And I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm not a lawyer. You are, but not this kind of law, I don't think. So nope. it's we can't say one way or the other how this will work out. But I think it's a great move from Delta. I'd love to see them step up and say that all their employees have to be vaccinated. It would make me feel more comfortable. But they're not quite there yet. And we will see. I'm sure this is the, you know, there, there's always a first. Uh, and now Delta is the first, uh, so that uh, that hurdle has been crossed. Let's see who is the second, and then, of course, uh, they will all jump in line uh, with similar restrictions, as, as we always see. So I would assume probably United is next, uh, and then probably Alaska Southwest, um, the local uh, train system. Uh, Spirit, Frontier, Allegiant, and then a month or two later, American will probably jump on board. Yeah, I think I think that order might be correct. <laughs> and we have seen uh, a lot of people were shocked by the two hundred dollar monthly healthcare surcharge on this. And we, I would have been more shocked if my wife hadn't told me yesterday what their school district is doing, which is if they're separating the vaccinated and the unvaccinated in that if they get COVID and have to quarantine or their students have COVID and thus they have to quarantine and they can't work, if they're vaccinated, they get up to two 10-day paid periods where they aren't working. If they're unvaccinated, they have to take sick time or take unpaid time. So it's not they're not charging them up front, but if they get sick and can't work, they're making a a big distinction there. So I think we'll see more and more companies doing that in um, the private sector and throughout the country, 
to try to encourage vaccination without straight out saying you have to be vaccinated. Yep. And like you said, I think this is the, uh, this is the future for at least the short term. We're going to see more and more companies do this and, uh, and you can form, uh, form your own opinion, your mind, uh, which way you go on this. Um, I personally, uh, would just say that, um, the more, vaccinated people we have in the world, the better off we are, uh, and leave it at that. Uh, in happier news, Jeff, or maybe less depressing news, Minute Suites, uh, which is seems to be rapidly expanding on uh, trying to come out of this coronavirus pandemic, they are launching Minute Suites Express at LaGuardia, uh, and it's specifically set up for working uh, and for, I guess, business class travelers, hope, hoping that business travel will increase in the coming months. There's no bed or couch like a lot of the minute suites have in your little private room there. Um, uh, and again, it's set up uh, more so for working. So hopefully they have really uh, fast Wi-Fi, uh, plenty of outlets and things of that nature, and probably a desk uh, and uh, a comfortable chair. Uh, a reminder that Priority Pass gets you one hour of access into all minute suites. Uh, and if you have a player two traveling with you with their own priority pass, which you can get on an authorized user card, even if they are not, uh, they don't have their own priority pass card. You could pair that with your player two for up to two hours of access for free. So it's really good. Uh, I don't know about you, Jeff. I haven't got to visit a minute suite yet, but I've heard really good things, but generally, it's always good to see lounges expanding and adding new locations and new offerings. Yeah, I've been to a couple of the regular minute suites using the Priority Pass card. One was, I want to say, a year or two. I, well, it was more than a year ago because we weren't traveling last year. A couple of years ago, and I was exhausted, and I actually laid down and took a nap for an hour and set an alarm and that was great. And the most recent one was on our way to Ireland. My wife and I used the one in Philadelphia. And we were able to get uh, two hours in a row. The guy reserved it for us. We went and grabbed food. We took it in and we, we had our lunch in there. And I was able to get a podcast episode edited. My wife did some work for uh, something she was consulting on. And it was a great place for us to have some nice relaxing privacy without the craziness of the airport going on around us. So I'm excited about these business ones. That's probably, or the, the express ones that are set up for business. That's probably more what I would use it for that. Having been said, I did use it to take a nap once and I would miss that. Yeah. And, and you know, especially for business travelers or for those of us, you know, uh, digital nomadism, I guess is the right way to say that. Uh, has gotten even larger uh, as a percentage of the population during the pandemic. So more of us are working from home wherever home is. So having more computer access, speedy Wi-Fi, a comfortable work desk and things at an airport in a quiet space to get some work done, maybe before you hop on that flight to go somewhere and, you know, maybe continue working uh, remotely, that's a good thing, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how great it is or how mediocre it is. It's still free. It's still a quiet space. And you get to go in there for up to two hours if you have a player or two and, uh, and enjoy a quiet workplace. That's a win-win, especially for those digital nomads and, and remote workers. 
and that's it for airlines even though that one wasn't really airline but it was airport and that's where the airlines go so that's why i threw it there you're a smart man i am (laughs) and we'll move over to travel with something that also is not really travel and you know we talk about all sorts of things on this podcast but one thing we haven't talked about yet is underwear so why not get started with it today there's a company out there called Me Undies, and they have a new travel pattern. And this is actually available if if you don't need new travel underwear. It's available on socks as well and a couple other things. But it looks like the print is luggage tags with airport codes on it. I want to give uh, a hat tip to Becky over at Sight Doing who put this on Twitter, and I was excited because my wife has some undergarments from them, and she says they're the most comfortable things ever, so I ordered a pair of boxers. I know Becky ordered some. I ordered some for my wife, so if you have ever wondered what travel hackers are wearing underneath their clothes, this is it, starting in a couple of weeks when these orders arrive. So we'll put a link for that if anyone also needs, feels like they need their travel persona to extend all the way to their underwear. I don't even know where to go with this, Jeff. I'm currently thinking about your underwear, something I thought I would never, ever think about. And I'm trying to figure out how this came up on a beer and travel podcast. (laughs) That's the goal of the podcast. Make it as awkward as possible and entertain the listeners. (sighs) somehow I signed up for this. Can I get a refund? I don't know, man. Go take a look. You'll see this pattern and you'll be like, maybe I should get some of this. Maybe I should get some underwear. I mean, like all of our listeners, the moment this episode drops and they hear it, as soon as we stop recording, guess where I'm going? I have to at least look at these things, right? Maybe I'll be uh, a little less weird for a travel and beer podcast and i will go look at the socks but probably not i'll probably go look at the boxers so i did order a pair of socks too because of course you have to match right yeah and you know i'm a sucker for anything with airport codes so i'll probably buy some all right so enough of that and we'll move on to uber grocery which is again it's a stretch i i put a decent number of things in this travel section that are a stretch today but I wanted to rant a little bit about Uber Grocery because I got some emails it's through Uber Eats that and I got an email that Safeway was joining the program and I could have $20 off a $40 order and I could do that twice and we put our first order in last night because the deadline was today and you know I put off things till the last minute And we ordered four things, and two of the four of them showed up. And one came incorrect, and one they claim wasn't available. And the store is right down the street. I know they had it like two days ago. So unless somebody went on a rampage and bought everything on the shelf, I'm sure it was there. They just didn't know where to look. There's, I just don't understand this. And we ordered some groceries online when we were in Mexico, and we had some issues with it was actually kind of an adventure because we got random products that we hadn't ordered and different fruits and but we didn't really know what we were doing and it was all in Spanish so we were kind of okay with that but this was in English it's a fairly straightforward system it's ordering groceries from the store down the street from me I don't know why people would pay for this 
there's an 18% fee added on for the privilege of them delivering it. And then they ask you to tip the, the driver as well, or the shopper as well. But I like, I mean, I had a second promo code and I didn't even order today because I was like, no, it's not worth the hassle. It's not worth the wrong things. I don't see how, I, I guess it kind of goes along with Uber's typical service in that they just put out a product and when it goes wrong, oh well. I don't know. I don't get online grocery shopping and it just has never worked in any form. I don't know why Uber's trying to get into it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the weekly Jeff Brownson soapbox. He he looks like he's getting down. Okay, okay, he's okay. No, I... In all seriousness, I get you. We've uh, we've used uh, Instacart a few times when the Amex Platinum gave the $50 off a couple of times. And I remember calculating it and telling my wife, Sarah, like, even with a $50 credit on 250 bucks, we are losing money. You know, when there's a when there's a 25 plus percent markup plus service fees plus tip. Gosh, I mean, I understand some people are immunocompromised and things that are, uh, they're, you know, they don't feel like it's safe to go to the grocery store. That's one thing. For for those of us that are out and about doing other things, unless you really value your time to go grocery shopping at a high, high hourly rate, I don't get it either, Jeff. All of our orders have been messed up on Instacart. And, you know, probably looking at like 30% total after service fees and tip plus markup. I mean, it's just, it's not something I'm willing to do. No. So Uber Grocery gets a big thumbs down from me. Very exciting that my local Safeway is on it. I will never use it again. So recap, travel underwear, good. Uber Grocery, bad. Next topic. Important topics being covered today on the Miles and Points with Pints segment. Gotta love it. Our last topic, we're going to actually swing back to travel. And that is, uh, I guess when this comes out, a couple days ago, it was announced that the EU is looking at removing the U.S. from the safe travel list. And maybe by the time this this, uh, goes live, they will have actually made a decision on that. But you're right, not good. It not surprising also. Yeah. They should remove the US, but it again, it makes me sad. It makes me angry. It makes me sad. It makes me makes me very nervous about my trip I have planned next month because I feel like the people in this country are going to ruin it for me. And yeah. I'm not gonna be able to go. Yeah, we had a conversation today in in my Facebook group and blog, Travel on Points, uh, about uh, an anticipated trip uh, to Western Europe in, uh, I believe, in early October. And, you know, the the member is adamant uh, that they're going uh, to Europe. And I'm sitting here thinking, are you looking at the same numbers I am? Because, you know, you look at the numbers in the U.S. now, versus two weeks ago, versus four weeks ago. We are on that roller coaster ride that's just began, and we are going straight up that hill. And you know Europe is looking at it. Their numbers are, quite honestly, very similar. And uh, 
I just don't see free travel uh, being open again uh, in the near future. I hate to be Debbie Downer, but I think it's coming, Jeff. Yeah, so advice to all of you who, like me, have a trip planned. Make sure you're keeping an eye on that. If things need to be canceled by a certain time, start thinking about whether you're going to go or not. I know that's where I am in the next two weeks, I think. I need to cancel some flights so that they're 30 days out with United so that I get the I don't have to pay fees for the award flight cancellations. I know there's a decent amount of stuff that I haven't planned because this has been so up in the air. I actually have a I think a week and a half or two weeks that I have absolutely nothing booked and still have to figure out where I can go. I am still waiting for my French, uh, for France to issue the EU COVID certificate that I applied for. I have no idea how long that process takes, if I'll even get that before I'm supposed to go. So a whole lot up in the air, especially with European travel, with travel in general, as we come to the end of the summer here. And unfortunately, we don't have good news for you. We'll just have to all hope for the best and and hope that more people get vaccinations and hope that we can get this trending in the right direction so that those of us who want to travel can get back out there and start doing it again. Yep. And to bring this full circle before we finish miles and points with pints, uh, just remember, folks, although COVID is slightly different from other trips, but whenever you're booking a trip, Uh, especially that involves air or train or cruise travel. It's a really, really good idea to book that on a credit card, uh, specifically a wards card that includes some type of trip insurance um, for flight cancellations, flight delays, uh, your own sickness, a family member's sickness, something along those lines. The caveat being that most of those credit cards, or all of them in fact, do not cover COVID-related cancellations at the present time. You can buy annual insurance, travel insurance plans that do cover COVID, that could cover you if you need to cancel a trip for whatever reason that's COVID-related. But just as a general reminder, whenever you're booking travel, learn the, learn the insurance rules on the cards you have or go and get a card with better travel insurance. It's a free benefit on these cards, it can save you a buttload of money and a buttload of heartache uh, when when a trip gets canceled or something happens while you're on a trip and you either have to cancel it or go seek medical care, be evacuated, those type of things. And that's all we have for travel updates this week. We'll let you know next week what's going on again with hotels and airlines and credit cards, and hopefully we'll have better news in the travel segment. Until then, safe travels if you're out there, and keep on earning those points because we'll be able to travel again someday. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Stu as we did talking to him. Someday, I'll end up in the same town as Stu, and you can be sure we'll eat and drink our way through it like experts. Until then, I'll just keep watching his videos and dreaming about travel. All of the important points and links for things we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you like what you heard, 
be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too. And please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun. Yeah.